in Ukraine, COVID, the Biden presidency, and the elections. You are listening to The John DePetro Show. Well, folks, good afternoon. Right now, it's 106 on this Tuesday. You're listening to The John DePetro Show. It's AM 1380 and 99.9 FM. You can always listen online at the website, dipetro.com. This portion of the program is brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Folks, pop it and see them. A great meal is waiting for you at the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. Right now, if you're listening to the show at 106 on this Tuesday, you could swing by there and get a nice lunch. So we have a lot of sound to get into uh, this hour. And I'm also here. I don't know what's going to happen tonight with the city council meeting. I'm planning on being there unless something very dramatic happened that brought me somewhere else. Uh, And I'm also hearing mixed things that this thing may not go down tonight as far as trying to remove the mayor. But right now, planning on being there, do a live stream on it. Um, You know, this is um, there's some some other developing uh, stories right now, and that is, you know, the. the NRCC, they are slamming Seth Magaziner for staying silent on the, uh, the, the stock trading of Jim Langevin. I mean, and that is, I am telling you, I think there's going to be a criminal investigation. I had said this. I had heard about this. This stuff about Tom Brady and Giselle. I mean, that is absolutely being reported right now that they're both hiring divorce lawyers. Um. I mean, it's it's kind of hard to believe, but I want to get to now there was an arrest with that Northeastern bombing and FBI charged Northeastern University employee connection in the explosion incident. They held a press briefing earlier and I want to dip into this um, very good work by the authorities on this. And it turns out, I mean, it's the employee who's being accused of it, that he fabricated the whole thing. He's from Texas. I mean, the story's a little bit bizarre. Folks, also, later on the website, I did catch up with that CCRI lizard. So, now they had more information on this. I wanted the longer. They had the full um, press briefing that I wanted to hear that. Let me see if I can just find this quickly. I did want to play a little bit and hear a little bit of this FBI press briefing. The Langevin story is, is I'm telling you, that is, that is one to watch. That is absolutely one to watch regarding the fact that with the insider trading, insider trading. All right, here we go. FBI, Northeastern employee staged the bombing. So let me uh, dip into this a little bit. Okay, I want to hear this. was arrested earlier this morning in Texas in connection with that reported explosion at a Northeastern University lab. He is scheduled to appear before a United States magistrate judge in San Antonio, Texas later this afternoon. Mr. Duhame, who at the time of this incident was employed as the new technology manager and director of the immersive 
Media Lab at Northeastern University is alleged to have fabricated the story and then provided law enforcement with materially false and misleading information about the incident. According to the charging document at approximately 7 p.m. on September 13th, Mr. Duhame placed a 911 call telling the operator that he was injured by very sharp objects that were expelled from a plastic pelican case. For those of you who don't know, pelican cases are hard plastic cases that latch shut, similar to a briefcase. In that same 911 call, Mr. Duhame stated that the case contained a violent note. As we all know in Boston, Mr. Duhame's 911 call generated a significant response. A large portion of Northeastern's Boston campus was evacuated, and the Northeastern University Police Department issued numerous campus-wide alerts, one of which described an explosion on campus. Law enforcement officers from the Northeastern University Police Department and the Boston Police Department were first to arrive on scene, followed shortly thereafter by agents from the FBI's Joint Terrorism Task Force. Bomb squads from the FBI and Boston Police Department also responded in order to inspect the lab and render safe a second suspicious container reported by Mr. Duhame inside that lab. After his 911 call, Mr. Duhame allegedly reported to law enforcement, including at least one federal agent, that he had collected several packages from a mail area earlier that evening and brought them into the lab. Among the packages were the two Pelican cases, which he brought into a storage closet inside the lab. Mr. Duhame allegedly said that when he opened one of the cases, very sharp objects flew out and under his shirt sleeves, causing injuries to his arms. Additionally, he reported that the case contained a threatening letter directed at the lab. According to court documents unsealed today, the law enforcement officers who arrived at the scene observed the Pelican case Mr. Duhame described to the 911 operator and found it was empty and undamaged. Neither that Pelican case nor the threatening letter Mr. Duhame allegedly said was inside the case showed any indication of having been exposed to a forceful or explosive discharge of any type or magnitude. And the storage closet in which Mr. Duhame said he had opened the case appeared normal and undisrupted. Bomb technicians who entered the closet not long after Mr. Duhame's 911 call did not observe any small objects or suspicious debris on the floor or elsewhere. During the subsequent interviews with law enforcement, Mr. Duhame allegedly provided statements about the incident that were consistent with his report to the 911 operator. It is alleged that he expressly denied fabricating his story in the case, the threatening letter and he, that he said was inside the case and the cause of his injuries. <laughs> Additionally, forensic analysis of one of the computers seized during a search of Mr. Duhame's office at Northeastern University allegedly revealed a word-for-word electronic copy of the letter stored in a backup folder. Metadata associated with this file reflected a created date and time of September 13th at 2.57 p.m., roughly four hours prior to when Mr. Duhame called 911 to report the explosion. 
thanks to the exceptional work and partnership with the FBI, Boston Police Department, and the Northeastern University Police Department, Mr. Duhame, as we said earlier, was arrested today, charged with one count of intentionally conveying false and misleading information related to an explosive device, and one count of making materially false statements to a federal law enforcement agent. Wow. This conduct conducted, this alleged conduct is disturbing to say the least. Our city more than most knows all too well that a report or threat of an explosion is a very serious matter and necessitates an immediate and significant law enforcement response given the potential devastation that can ensue. Mr. Duhame's 911 call on September 13th did, in fact, generate an enormous law enforcement response and resulted in the evacuation of a large portion of the Northeastern campus and the understandable panic among many Northeastern students, faculty, and staff. And Northeastern is located in a community. The residents of Boston that live and work near Northeastern University experienced this situation as well and were afraid. Based on the alleged facts outlined in the charging document, a federal magistrate judge has found probable cause that Mr. Duhame fabricated the incident, which included a claim that the Pelican case contained sharp objects and a threatening letter directed at the lab. The complaint alleged that Mr. Duhame drafted that letter himself hours before contacting 911. His alleged actions diverted significant law enforcement resources away from essential public safety matters and caused fear and panic not only on campus, but also in the homes of the families and friends and loved ones of Northeastern student faculty and staff, as well as the people who live and work near Northeastern's campus. Although I cannot comment on the motive of this case, specifically, I want to emphasize that violence and threats of violence of destruction whether they are made up or intended to be real, are illegal and will be investigated and prosecuted. My law enforcement office partner, my law enforcement partners in my office will not ignore those who seek to cause panic in our communities. Again, I want to commend the incredible work of my law enforcement partners and investigators in this case, including the FBI, Boston Police, and Northeastern University. You will now hear from the special agent in charge of the FBI. Folks, again, this is the uh, Northeastern case right here on the John DePietro Show. Thank you, Rachel, and good afternoon. Earlier this morning, the FBI arrested Jason Duhame, the former new technology manager and director of the Immersive Media Lab at Northeastern University for intentionally lying to us about an explosive device inside his lab, along with the threatening letter he allegedly wrote directed at the lab and for obstructing our investigation. We took him into custody near his residence in San Antonio, Texas, without incident. In this case, we believe Mr. Duhame wanted to be the victim, but instead victimized his entire community by instilling fear at college campuses in Massachusetts and beyond. As a result of the alleged hoax orchestrated by Duhame, a massive law enforcement response ensued. Bomb technicians with the Boston Police Department and the FBI were deployed, and a large portion of the university was evacuated, but ultimately, no explosive devices were found. What Jason Duhame is accused of doing is cause for concern on several levels. Throughout the course of our investigation, 
We believe he repeatedly lied to us about what happened inside the lab, faked his injuries, and wrote a rambling letter directed at the lab threatening more violence. Almost every day across the Commonwealth, either an FBI special agent bomb technician or another federal, state, or local public safety bomb tech responds to a call about a suspicious package or threat. They don't do it for the money or the glory. They do it for us to keep scores of people safe from unspeakable harm. And answering those calls leaves no room for error. Most turn out to be false alarms or hoaxes, like what happened in this case, but no call can go unanswered because in our line of work, preventing a terrorist attack or disarming a live pipe bomb or rendering safe, inactive, improvised explosive device can be the difference between life or death. Making false threats is not some harmless prank. It's selfish, short-sighted, and a federal crime. It, draw, it drains law enforcement oh. resources, diverts us from responding to an actual crisis, puts innocent people at risk, and instills fear in the community. Hoax explosive devices and fictitious letters threatening violence cause real-world damage. The FBI takes all threats of life seriously, and so should anyone sitting behind their keyboard or staring into their phone who may be contemplating making one. Consider whether you really want to end up in handcuffs waiting for an initial appearance before a federal judge. Duhaime's arrest should be a warning to everyone that this is not a game and threats like these are not a joke. If you engage in this type of behavior, no matter who you are or where you are, we will determine what you did, find you, and hold you accountable. This investigation underscores the exceptional partnership and professionalism of our Joint Terrorism Task Force members. The citizens of the Commonwealth can take comfort in the fact that we continue to work together every day at the local, state, and federal level to protect our communities from people seeking to do harm. As such, I would like to extend my sincere thanks to United States Attorney Rollins and her team, Boston Police Commissioner Michael Cox and the Boston Police Department, the Northeastern University Police Department and its chief, Michael Davis, along with the agents, task force officers, and analysts on the FBI Boston Division's Joint Terrorism Task Force. Thank you. Now I'd like to introduce the commissioner for the Boston Police Department, Michael Cox. Now, part of our public safety duties is not only to address crime, but fear of crime. And there's no better example of that in, in this particular case. So on behalf of Mayor Wu and the city of Boston, you know, we, we're very um, happy and, and grateful for the partners that we have throughout the city, throughout the county in general, about helping us keep our citizens safe. Uh, I want to thank the uh, men and women of Boston Police Department that worked on this case. I want to uh, thank the Northeastern University police officers that were involved in their leadership in helping us do this. And, and, and I definitely want to thank both the FBI and the U.S. Attorney for their, their commitment of resources and um, basically commitment to the city of Boston in general for doing these things. You know, it, it takes a lot. Uh, these cases are not easy, they're difficult, and they're, and they're far more resources than a, than a local police department can typically do. And so we are grateful that we have such strong partnerships here in the city uh, to address any issue that may come up. So this 
should dissuade anybody out there from for doing anything like this in any of our institutions in the city in the future. So, with much ado, here, uh, the chief of the Northeast Police Department. Um, first, I want to start off with thanking uh, the Boston Police Department, the FBI, the U.S. Attorney. I'm thinking you're listening live. Extraordinary well, effort. Coming, but this uh, was I want the to thank the men and women of the Northeast you're University Police Department. To it on the Department. Department. Um, you know, this type of thing is the thing that requires a really intense collaboration. A collaboration from beginning all the way through uh, through the stages of adjudication. So that's what happened in this case. Uh, it's important to know that our law enforcement construct responds the way that it does. Uh, with the level of efficacy and care um, in following through on this effort. So I'm very proud of that. And um, again, thank you for your uh, support uh, of, of, our, of our function. Thank you. Really, um, why well, do you believe that he did this? All right, folks, I want to stay with this just a little bit. <laughs> again, this is the Northeastern bond. I'm sorry, the question was, why do we believe that he did this? Well, obviously, when, when it comes to any type of motive, or potential ideology, this is still very much an active and ongoing investigation. But you mentioned you that you thought he did it for attention. I'm sorry? You mentioned, you said you thought he did it, for, you wanted to be the victim. Yeah, but th that's, not th that's not describing necessarily motive or ideology. It's simply just what the investigation is so far borne out. It's still active and ongoing, and, and as more facts come out later in the, in the, at the stage, you know, you, we'll, we'll let you know. Do we believe that these are his views or that this is just sort of a fiction for you? You're referring to the letter? Yeah. Once again, that, that would go down in terms of motive or ideology, so we're going to let the letter stand on its own right now as this investigation still continues. Were there any early warning signs? I understand that he worked here for some time. Was there any indication that he would act in this manner, any references to colleagues or anything like that? Can you repeat that question? Yeah, were there any early warnings? I understand that you've been on Eastern for some time before this incident happened. I'm wondering if there was any prior indication. So remember, this investigation is only a few weeks old, so obviously we're not going to leave any stone unturned in terms of his history or, or whatnot. But as far as where we stand right now, the investigation still is active and ongoing, and we're not at that point yet. Does he have a history of doing anything similar to this in the past? Do we know that yet? I think that's pretty much the same question as we we um, with the FBI and our local law enforcement partners are turning over every stone to see what we can find out about this individual. What we have right now is enough to have arrested him and to make the statements. I believe you also have a copy of the complaint. So um, to make those allegations, as we've said before, the complaint could stand as it is or we could add new charges moving forward. But as the special agent in charge has said, we're looking into all of those things. Does he have a for any previous convictions or charges for anything? To my knowledge at this point, no. You talk, somebody talked a little bit about the complexity of putting investigations like this together, which of course is understandable, but from a layman's point of view, it seems to me that it went rather quickly. What are some of the things that allowed you to move it, again, from a layman's point of view, quickly uh, to, to, to make this arrest? 
Well, I can say nice things about them for a moment. I think what is really unique and wonderful um, about the way Boston in particular and Massachusetts works is the special agent in charge has exceptional relationships with not only university uh, police officers and chiefs, but also um, Boston, Worcester, Springfield, and all of our town uh, chiefs of police there. So I think the Joint Terrorism Task Force has been deployed and been very helpful in these circumstances. Um, we, we also were here a few weeks back with respect to something that happened at Boston Children's Hospital. And again, it was the exceptional work of the FBI with the Boston police and others to do that. But I will turn it over to the special agent. Thank you. Well, unfortunately, and it's not just in this area, it's, it's other parts of the country as well, is through our joint terrorism task forces, we have become very well versed conducting investigations such as this. Um, the, the, the methodologies of the investigation are pretty clearly laid out thus far, although it's still an ongoing investigation in the complaint. But to the United States Attorney's point, the whole purpose of the joint terrorism task force is to have those partnerships at the ready at the local, state, and federal level. So when something like this happens we all respond we've all worked together every single day and i think that's why sometimes these investigations seem to be uh, seamless at certain points how long did he work at northeastern for and how long did he been in this job <clears throat> I'm, I'm not in a position right now to comment in terms of his tenure, but I may, Northeastern may, may know that. Well, uh, as you know, you know, uh, he's a former employee and it's, a, it's an issue of an employee-employer relationship. Um, so we're not going to comment on any of those dynamics with respect to his tenure, his length of service, or, or any of that leading up to this incident. Well, that's all part of of what we've dealt with or we are dealing with with respect to his employment, right? So all those dynamics, his job, uh, how he was doing his job, all that's part of uh, what we're dealing with in terms of a personal matter. And just, I mean, kids, I mean, what's that job that he had, a uh, technical lab emergency? You know what that, that is when he teaches students what it's, what's involved in it? Oh, we know it's, it's, it's part of one of our colleges, right? It's a, it's, it's a job that, that entails, um, you know, some technical aspects of, of, you know, the whole experience that we create for students there. Um, but, you know, that's as far as we can go with it. The second charge, uh, making a statement within the executive branch, is that because it was for the FBI or the JTTF or it was Homeland Security? So the, the charges pertaining to false statements to uh, federal officers. You mentioned this a little in your remarks, but could you explain a little bit more about the impact of something like this on our community, on anyone who is a college student? Um, you know, what is someone who makes a threat like this? What impact does that have on the community? Well, as you heard the special agent in charge say, irrespective of what someone's intent may be um, or their ideology, we are. You know, and this is not related directly to this case, but we're nearing the 10-year anniversary of the marathon bombing. I think Boston in particular, when it comes to explosives, threats of violence, etc., um, anywhere in the country, people are taking that very seriously. But I think our reaction here um, is... Uh, always um, appropriate and significant uh, when we do that. So I, I, I think 
personally that when we look at a place of learning or a place like Children's Hospital where people are going um, oftentimes at the worst time in their lives um, or schools where hopefully it's not the worst time of your life at Northeastern University but that you're there just to study and get an education um, irrespective of where it is we are going to always take it seriously because if we don't and we're wrong what could the outcome potentially be? Do you have anything to add? Were there any other anti-Facebook or anti-Mark Zuckerberg screeds found either in his Right, folks. Again, this is the northeastern arrest. Again, we're, we're going to let the we're going to let the complaint stand where it is right now because the, this investigation is still ongoing. If you're not sharing a motive, do, do you have potential motives? Do you expect one at some point? Um, because obviously, you don't need to present a motive. But you will when this goes to court. Good. Well. I mean, it's, it's not as much of a matter of what we think as far as what was borne out by the evidence. You have evidence of a motive, but not ready to share it? The, as I said before, the investigation still continues. All right. Now, folks, again, that was, um, you've been listening. Good afternoon, one and all. I know it went a little lengthy, but I wanted to, I think it was important. Right now, it is uh, 1.30, and you're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM 1380 and 909.9 FM. Now, there's some other sound I want to get to, and this is important because I had posted a while ago that Rhode Island Congressman Jim Langevin, that I was told that one of the reasons he was not seeking re-election was because of they were looking into the SEC was looking into some of his stock trades. And I talked about it in the first hour. And I see nothing that uh, leads me to believe that it's something other than that, especially the amount that he so brazenly continues to trade. But before I do that, what's going to happen tonight in Woonsocket, Woonsocket Council is going to vote whether or not to remove the mayor. I um, I think they need to be very cautious here. I think they need to be very cautious on removing someone from office. So I want to play. This is a uh, Channel 12 piece on it. There is such a vote tonight on whether or not to remove Mayor Lisa Baldelli-Hunt from office after she was accused of not enforcing some city ordinances. 12 News reporter Sheena Loshudo is live in Woonsocket with the very latest this afternoon. Hi, Sheena. Danielle, and of course, this all stems back to a complaint filed by a fellow city council member who says the mayor is not performing her duties as mayor. Now, let's show you some. Now, let's show you some video from last week's meeting. Of course, this council was set to vote on this last week, but pushed it back one week, leading us to tonight. And when a complaint is filed like this, the city charter says the council has to vote on whether or not to remove the mayor. And keep in mind, Baldelli Hunt is on the ballot again in November, unopposed. So whatever does happen to Tonight, it's likely the council will be working with her again. Now, we spoke to the mayor at an unrelated event this morning where people, including members of the congressional delegation, praised her for her work, something she says speaks for itself. How is it that I and my team can work so well with everyone, but the city council has, or the majority of the city council, I should say, has issues with me and my team? It's, this is political. This is this is a political matter. 
And Bob Daly Hunt told us multiple times that we will likely hear more of her story tonight at that public meeting. It starts at 7 o'clock. Reporting live in Woonsocket, I'm Sheena Lushudo, 12 News. You know, I am, we'll, we'll see what they do, but I am hearing that, you know, they got to be cautious. Um, she's running unopposed. There would be an opportunity to remove her at the, at the ballot box. When you start to undo an election and remove someone, I, I think it gives a lot of people pause. We'll see what they end up doing this evening. And I think I may go to that, although I'm hearing mixed things of whether or not that that is still going to happen. Folks, this portion of the John DePietro Show, it's brought to you by our friend. If you're right now on Menden Road, I want you to stop in and send see our friend Marie at It's My Health 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. It's My Health Vitamins, Herbal Remedies. Right now it's 134. Marie, the Queen of Health, is at It's My Health 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. You can call her at 401 305 3585, but better yet, diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant, it's my health, vitamins, herbal remedies from trusted companies, local products, acai, honey, maple syrup, beef fresh gum. How about over 250 bulk herbs, teas, and spices that can be purchased by the ounce with boxed herbs and teas right now? If you're on Menden Road and maybe you're listing, to AM 1380 or 99.9 FM. Pop in that historic white church diagonally across from Davenport Restaurant and say hello to my friend Marie. And you can mention to her, you sound great on the John DePietro show. Purchase some nice tea. Purchase some nice herbs and spices, plus hemp and CBD products, whether it's for yourself or for a pet. Plus natural skincare products, hair care products, essential oils, body oils, and soaps. Folks, it's my health. Stop and see them. 1099 Menden Road in Cumberland. All right, I want to play the um, the story on Langevin. Tim, Ted Nisi has dug in on this. It's a very thorough piece, and this causes a problem. Because Seth Magaziner took the endorsement. And Seth Magaziner running against Chris Mayor Alan Fung. Langevin needs to be called out on this. Seth Magaziner is actually running commercials where he wants a ban. But he received the endorsement from Langevin, who's seemingly like the rules don't apply to him. Now, I want to play it. This is the Channel 12 piece that is aired. Target 12 investigators regarding that thief, Jim Langevin. Listen to this. Has been playing the markets aggressively. Very aggressively. Dollars on Millions Wall Street during just the first stocks. eight months of this year. Insider trading. Ted joins us now with his exclusive findings. Democratic candidate Seth Magaziner says it should be illegal for congressmen to buy and sell stocks. Now that proposal has put an uncomfortable spotlight on the man Magaziner is trying to replace. 
And so the next four months are going to be a lot of fun. As he campaigns to succeed fellow Democrat Jim Langevin in Congress, Seth Magaziner is blanketing the airwaves with a TV ad questioning the ethics of lawmakers who speculate in the stock market. Public officials should serve the people, not get rich off of their positions. That's why I support banning members of Congress from trading stocks. Target 12 reviewed hundreds of pages of disclosure forms filed by all four members of Rhode Island's congressional delegation. They reveal Langevin is the only one who personally places bets on the ups and downs of the market. Target 12's analysis shows that in just the first eight months of this year, Langevin traded shares in major companies 89 times. He reported purchases and sales totaling at least $1 million and possibly much more since lawmakers are not required to disclose exact amounts. Subcommittee will come to order. And despite his position as chairman of a key cybersecurity committee, Langevin has not shied away from betting on the stock prices of tech giants, placing bets on the short-term price moves of companies like Facebook, PayPal, and Netflix. Langevin kept up his trading even after saying on a January edition of Newsmakers that he agrees with calls for a ban. If people uh, have concerns about members of Congress, uh, it's trading yeah, in stocks. Yeah. They feel that this, uh, it's it's not appropriate. Presented with Target 12's findings, Langevin issued a lengthy statement saying he never makes trades based on information he learns because he's a lawmaker. He also said, quote, it's so important that Rhode Islanders trust their elected representatives to work on behalf of their constituents' best interests, not their own. That's what I have done throughout my entire career, and I will continue to do so up until my final day in office. U.S. Senator Sheldon Whitehouse also reported stock trades, but he says those decisions are made by a financial advisor without his input. Meanwhile, late last week, the U.S. House scrapped a vote to ban its members from trading stocks due to opposition among lawmakers. With the Target 12 investigators, Ted Nisi, 12 News. So, folks, as you heard, and again, good afternoon, it's Sean DePietro. Uh, very, very damaging story, as a matter of fact. Very, very damaging story regarding that. Now, I also, I'll play it. I've been mentioning that I thought it was uh, rather weak, but this situation with the Charlotte Lester case and that they have, um, you know, Channel 12 put together multiple persons of interest in the case. I, I, I thought it was weak. I think it could have been much more specific. Um, they're the ones that put it together. But let me uh, just, I'll run it. You judge for yourself. This is the Channel 12 piece that they ran. The search for Charlotte Lester. The Warwick woman vanished without a trace in May, leaving her community mystified. Now those close to Charlotte tell 12 News they believe something sinister happened. I spoke with investigators and Warwick police remain tight-lipped about the details of their investigation, but nearly five months after Charlotte's disappearance, they tell me they have multiple persons of interest in this case. Charlotte Lester was supposed to celebrate her 45th birthday in June. Instead, her family and friends spent the day continuing their desperate search for her. We are very um, diligently working on finding out what happened to Charlotte. I spoke with family friend Kathy Wilson over the phone. She and Charlotte's family are now working with a private investigator trying to weave together clues. 
May 16th was the last day anyone saw Charlotte. Her beloved dog, Chloe, was found wandering near Belmont Park two days later, and police found her red pickup truck outside of Kent Hospital the following week. We asked police if surveillance cameras captured Charlotte at Kent, but they declined to comment. Days after the discovery of her truck, a search party in the nearby woods found these letters. Charlotte, I am falling for you deeply. Charlotte, you sweet, smiling, beautiful woman. Warwick police are now calling those notes articles of interest. Search parties also combed the park near where Chloe was found and scoured the waters of the Patuxent River. Everybody's been referring to this as, you know, Charlotte as a missing person, that this is a missing person case, but, you know, the family strongly believes that, um, that her life has been taken. Um, and it's not a missing person case. We do believe it's, you know, a, a murder investigation. Police would not comment when I asked whether they believe foul play was involved with Charlotte's disappearance. But they did tell me they have multiple persons of interest in this case. Police tell us they searched Charlotte's condo. And we were there as investigators searched this Staples Avenue home where Wilson says Charlotte was last seen. Exactly what investigators were looking for is still unknown, as the search warrant remains sealed. Wilson says she knows the police are working diligently, and she says Charlotte's family is doing the same. You know, there's no statute of limitations on her disappearance or her death, so it's not that um, we need to be quick about this. So we're just being um, methodical. You know, we, we do have big faith that there will be justice. Justice will be served. And Charlotte's family is offering a $20,000 reward in this case. If you have any information on Charlotte Lester's whereabouts, you are urged to contact Warwick Police. Well, again, um, I don't want to just go over it again. But, folks, I have mentioned that it, it sure sounds... Uh, I don't know. I don't know why they left out some of the facts of the case. It's one forty-three. Good afternoon. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. It's AM thirteen eighty and ninety-nine point nine FM. I don't. Um, I don't know. I don't know why they left it out again tonight. This should be interesting tonight again. And with what's going to happen with the Warwick City? Uh, excuse me, the Woonsocket City Council. And whether or not they're going to actually make a move like that on uh, the mayor. Because I'm here. This could drag on for quite some time. I have to wonder if it's really. Again, I I know that some of the people that are um, making some changes. Let me also just see. Patriots are expected to sign quarterback Gilbert, Garrett Gilbert to the practice squad. Well, they definitely need that. President Trump is suing CNN for defamation. Now, the Tom Brady story is obviously huge right now. The Tom Brady story is huge. But this Langevin story that is uh, floating out there right now, there's, um, that is, um, there, there's definitely something there regarding the, some of the trades that, that he was, in fact, involved with. And making. So, I, but but I think, and for Seth Magaziner, this is all for that CD2 race. For Mayor Fung right now, folks, he is in mayor, former Chris Mayor Alan Fung is in a really good position right now to see, uh, to possibly pick that up. 
He's running as possible, close as possibly can. The other, uh, another race to watch is this Herschel Walker case. Uh, let me go to the, the Good Morning America piece on this. This morning, Georgia Republican Senate candidate Herschel Walker denying an explosive report by the Daily Beast, alleging the candidate who opposes abortion not only encouraged his then-girlfriend in 2009 to get an abortion herself, but paid for the procedure. The former NFL player quickly denied the allegations, tweeting, This is a flat-out lie, and I deny this in the strongest possible terms. The Daily Beast says the woman, who asked not to be identified for privacy reasons, provided a receipt she says is from the clinic, a get well card she said was from the Heisman Trophy winner, and an image of a check that appears to be from Walker for $700. Overnight on Fox News, Walker claimed it was a political attack. I never asked anyone to get an abortion. I never paid for an abortion. He said he sends money to a lot of people. Do you know the woman that is making this allegation? I have no no idea, but it is a flat-out lie. And now one of Walker's sons blasting his father's decision to run for office. Christian Walker, an outspoken conservative with a large social media following, tweeted, every family member of Herschel Walker asked him not to run for office, saying that his father chose to air out all of his dirty laundry in public while simultaneously lying about it. And this could have big implications, George. This is a race that could determine which party controls the Senate, George. Right, Rachel, I know you're going to be in Georgia this week for us. That is a tough one. All right, folks, right now at 146, we're going to take a quick break. In 10 seconds, we're going to send it back to the studio with Jeff. You're listening to the John DePietro Show. This portion of the program brought to you by the Lodge Pub and Eatery, 40 Breakneck Hill Road in Lincoln. A great meal waiting for you already. at the Lodge. This Let's send it back to your the family, family, your employees, with warm with Matthews Oil Company. Call them today, 401-942-7500. Matthews Oil Company. 24-hour emergency service. For over four generations, they make it easy to keep your home comfortable and safe. Trusted oil delivery. Call Matthews Oil Company today, 401-942-7500. You can find them online, matthewsoil.com. Matthews Oil, premier dealer, Rhode Island, delivering the highest quality heating fuels. At Matthews Oil, they take pride providing reliable, affordable service for you and your family. Celebrating 90 years of service, call them now. It's going to be a cold winter. Get that tank filled. Call Matthews Oil Company today, 401-942-7500. In an emergency, they offer 24-hour emergency service. Matthews Oil Company, 401-942-7500. Folks, you're listening to the John DePietro Show, AM 1380, 99.9 FM. Joining us right now, author of The Woking Dead. How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. We want to welcome to the program, it is author, A.J. Rice. A.J., congratulations on The Woking Dead. Brother, what's going on? Brother John, <laughs> great to be here. Fantastic. First of all, tell, tell us a little bit about the, uh, the background and the making and just how you came about to put this book together. Well, look, uh, we're, in, we're engaged in a, in a cultural tyranny right now. And we've always had political correctness, and we've always had the nanny state. You know, they're going to snatch the cigar out of your mouth or the salt shaker out of your hands. And, you know, it spins up every couple of years. I think the last time it spun up was the uh, Gen X, Murphy Brown, pantsuit mafia that loved Hillary Clinton in the 90s. They were telling us how to think and speak and walk and talk. But now, fast forward to today, I mean, we the, the woking dead are everywhere. They're in your sports. 
They're in your kids' schools. They're in your entertainment. They're canceling people. They're canceling the founding fathers with the 1619 Project, right? They're pumping the Me Too movement, making boys, young boys out to be predators, you know, when they're just trying to put the phone down and maybe ask Sally to the dance. So, you know, we're in a war. And if you combine this, this woke tyranny, this cultural tyranny, with the medical tyranny we just went through and the financial tyranny that the uh, reanimated corpse in the White House, Joe Biden's pushing on us, uh, you know, we have a, 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 you know, a way to win in November if we can stick to just talking about those three things and not get distracted by shiny baubles like the Republican Party likes to do. Folks, again, we speak with author A.J. Rice. The book is The Woking Dead. A.J., I also want you to know it is what a sense it is laugh out loud honey funny you you have a you have a such a great unique uh let me just also ask you this where did you develop the sense of humor when when did you realize that you had the gift that you could look at something and put it in the comical context that you're able to well, do look I, i'm i'm the ceo of what is called joe pesci conservatism okay <laughs> straight out of philadelphia northeast philadelphia irish catholic guy you know, I mean, I didn't, I didn't go to the fancy schools, so I got a little bit of, a little bit of hard scrabble. State school guy went to Penn State. You know, worked my way through college, hanging out on Villanova and Temple and uh, and LaSalle's campus. And you know, my parents are from Northeast Philly. Uh, and and look, I think the Republican Party, being a conservative in America, there's no uniform for being a conservative, right? right? So. Right. So burn your burn your bow ties. You know Tucker took his off. George yeah. Will uh, George Will still wears one every once in a while. But this this is where I come from. I mean, I you know I'm uh, I try to bring humor. I'm a millennial. I'm a geriatric millennial. I'm an older millennial, <laughs> but a millennial nonetheless. And I just think that, like my old mentor Andrew Breitbart used to say, hang a joke on these people. Yeah. Talk about the culture. And nobody cares who's running for for Senate. I don't. You know. Because if you can hang a joke on someone, it's way more devastating than, you know, being an, an uptight, uh, Aristote- making an uptight Aristotelian argument, you know? You come right out of the box. And, folks, I want you to understand, it is such a fun, entertaining read. It's the type of book that what I like about it is you can put it down, come back, pick it right up, and just immediately jump into something different that has the same kind of nature of the humor. But I love right out of the box, the Joe Biden funeral home president. How'd you come up with that? Well, look, I mean, he's, he's presided over, he got two years of this guy, you know, the meat puppet that is dancing to the deep state. I mean, as soon as he got elected, the death, the death ticker on CNN vanished. (laughs) Probably because it was, was somebody hit hit the pedal to the metal. I mean, that, we, we, you know, no one's talking about it right now, but people are still dying. They're, yes. they're not just dying. They're dying from the virus. They're also dying from the cure to the virus. So, uh, you know, and you've got children that are committing suicide because they've been locked in and, and, and sort of, you know, captured. I mean, look, the youth has been captured. And, and we're talking Gen Z, but some millennials, too. And, you know, the Me Too movement made them all predators. Uh, the George Floyd dying made them all racist. Yeah, they're tearing down everything. The virus sends them all home from school. You know, and now they're—they already was a generation born with a smartphone in their hands. They already have a hard time being authentically human. So, so and now they're—they're they're completely captured. And I think that's what they want. I think it's by design. 
They send Stephen Gary into the bathroom, the women's locker room. <laughs> Look, I was joking with Ingram, uh, who I was the executive producer for for many years, uh, and she endorsed the book and uh, you yeah. know, gave a blurb for the book. We we were fighting in the mid-2000s. We were fighting the book Tommy Has Two Mommies. Right. John. Right. Yes. Tommy doesn't just have two mommies now. Uh, Tommy's got two daddies, two mommies. Tommy's not even Tommy anymore. That's he's, right. He's, you know, he's uh, Eileen. <laughs> Tommy's two are transitioning to become two two daddies. I love um How'd you come up with Section Nine pastimes to hate America? I, I, I think that is so on the money. It's just gold. Look, I'm a baseball guy. I love the uh, Phillies. I love the Red Sox, the Cubs. You know, I'm an old school guy. Uh, you know, I like baseball towns. I and mean, look, I like all sports, right? But. You know, some of these sports, now some have been better than others. The, the NHL doesn't really get, you know, down with some of this craziness. And to, you know, Venus and Serena's credit, and Tiger Woods' credit, I don't really hear much coming out of them about, you know, taking it to the man. Um, but look, some of our athletes have turned their profession into a pastime to just rip us. Yeah. And I guess the calculation, and if you're looking at someone specifically, let's take, you know, the dummies, the two dummies, LeBron and, and, and KD, Kevin Durant. I mean, I think their calculation is we can replace the customers here in the United States because I've got 1.3 billion Chinese to, to fill their seats with. That's right. I mean, I think that's the calculation. And Michael, all the way up to Adam Silver, the head of the the NBA commissioner. It might go all the way up there. I don't know, but it appears that a lot of these corporations that have gone woke, Disney's another one, Nike, Coca-Cola, Levi's, it seems that they're willing to not not take the John and AJ money. They don't want it. They don't want the, the, the audience of this show. It sounds like they're willing to lose them and replace them with the communist foot soldiers in China. Folks, again, we're speaking with author A.J. Rice. The book is The Woking Dead. It is a must read. It'll be a tremendous holiday gift coming up in just a few months. How society's Vogue virus destroyed our culture. A.J., I want to go back to section one, though. Um, part of Hunter Biden, white crackhead privilege. I, I'm surprised I haven't seen more. This stuff is such gold. I'm surprised I haven't seen more of these type of headlines pop up, up on social media because it's it's so different and it's right on the money. Well, look, I'm, look we try, we're trying to have fun, right? I mean, yeah. what is the definition of comedy, right? To transform uh, horror into humor. And let's face it. I represent Bobby Kennedy Jr. I represent yep. Robert Bork Jr. And I represent... George P. Bush, and I've represented Donald Trump Jr. And if any one of them was caught wearing a fur coat and their tidy whities with cocaine and hookers, the way the current president's son has been caught in a thousand photos that I'm sure they're all Photoshopped, John. Yeah, right. Uh, they, would, they would be strung up. They would be drawn and quartered. They'd be in the clink. You know, and what's the, the, the horror, of course, is if forget the celebrity children. There's regular, you know, urban people out there, black, brown, whatever, that get picked up and they're thrown away for decades for doing what Hunter's doing. And we're all laughing about it. And big tech is suppressing it. And it's it's an outrage. So, yeah, he's got white crackhead privilege. (laughs) Folks, again, the book is The Woking Dead. A.J. Rice, How Society's Vogue Virus Destroys Our Culture. I'm going to have a link to it on our 
Facebook page. And AJ, that was a, a great plug by Judge Janine for the book on the five. Oh, yeah, she, yeah. <laughs> yeah, Laura did something similar. I, I, wow. Yeah, I think I'm going to go on with Ingram on TV maybe next week. But no, the judge and I, I mean, she's like my surrogate mother. She uh, she keeps me in line, right? So she knows how to, she, <laughs> she knows how to keep me moving, right? So we got a new book with her coming out in January. We'll get her on. I know your audience probably loves her. She's a pistol. Oh, yeah. No, she is, she is uh, dynamite. She adds a lot to the five. What I also like is you're already establishing this is volume one because I have a feeling we're going to see not only volume two, volume four, five, six. Uh, I think you've hit gold with well, this. no one's doing this. No, they are not. Look, right-wingers, there's plenty of right-wing conservative books and libertarian books. But, you know, for me, I'm part of the short attention span theater generation. Yeah. And I set the book up so that you don't have to read it cover to cover. You can hop around almost yes. like a music album with track listings, right? Yes. You've got ten, 10 sections, 97 vignettes. Um, and look, there was a ton of stuff that we booted out of this thing. Wow. So, so no, we're, we'll, we're definitely uh, conceptualizing a volume two down the road. And, and you know, I would love to be back. But it's a fun read. You got the holidays coming up. You got your liberal brother-in-law or, or nutty woke nephew <laughs> that's majoring in, you know, underwater lesbian basket weaving. Bring them, bring them a copy. Let them look. <laughs> let them have some fun with it. You know, it's not a it's not a I'm not talking down to people. No. Or anything. I'm joking, joking around. And, you know, uh, look, it's humor always brings people together. Absolutely. Unless, you know, they're, you're really joyless like the women on The View. That's right. No, folks, it's I'm telling you, and it's laugh out loud funny. Folks, he's A.J. Rice. A.J., great to talk to you. Congratulations on the book. We'll talk to you again. John, you're a patriot. We love you, brother. Thank you, A.J. This is the perfect time of year to have some paving done for your home, residential, commercial, seal coating, and patios. Make it letter J, J Perry Paving. They provide high quality, fair pricing, exceptional service. Call them today for a free estimate, 401-732-1730. The next couple of months, get your driveway prepared for wintertime. Call J Perry Paving today for a free quote, 401-732-1730. Licensed and insured contracting company committed to meeting their clients' needs no matter how big or how small. Whether it's a brand new paving project or just a cracked driveway that needs to be refreshed, call J. Perry Paving today. Affordable, smooth, safe to drive on, aesthetically appealing. Remember, even asphalt can be recycled, reused. Call them for a free quote. Letter J, J. Perry Paving. Look for them on Facebook and call 401-732-1730. Remember, no one's better to veterans than J. Perry Paving. Call them today, 401 401- 732-1730, high quality, fair pricing, exceptional service, free estimate, J. Perry Paving, 401-732-1730. WNRI, one socket. WNRI.